and welcome back to another episode of the podcast to be named later. I am Chris Willis, and I'm again joined by my good friend, Stephen Talbert. Stephen, how are you doing tonight? What's up, Chris? It's been a minute since we were able to do this. You know, we had some technical difficulties over the week, and it just seemed like we were snake bit for a little bit there. But it's good to be back on with you, man. It's always fun to do these. Yeah, it's been a, it's, we've been, I think a couple of weeks now, uh, since we last recorded, but, uh, uh, we're filling in this week for the main show. Uh, but things should be back to normal next week. My schedule has been a little bit in a little bit of flux, but you should see a new episode most weeks on Thursday or Friday. Now that spring training's underway, like I said, we've got plenty to talk about and it's going to be this way, hopefully through, uh, November now. So, you know, with all that out of the way, let's just dive right into this. Uh, Steven, we got, Spring training's here. Braves have two games under under uh, their belts already. Had a inter, very interesting tie game on uh, Saturday and then got uh, pretty much wore out by the Yankees today, uh, just kind of with the B-team roster. Um, in fact, the Yankees had a no-hitter into that game, into the I think into the seventh, actually, uh, before Sam Hilliard broke it up. But the thing, I think the biggest thing has been front and center, obviously, is the pitch clock. Of course, that uh, game Saturday ended with a pitch clock violation. Brace had the bases loaded in the ninth after after a big comeback, and then um, you know, an automatic strike gets uh, levied against Cal Conley and ends the game effectively. And it sent, uh, I think, you know, as, as ex- expected, it sent uh, social media in, into a frenzy. But, you know, uh, I'll be honest, before that happened, I kind of changed my mind on the pitch clock because I really liked the pace, really liked the way the games were flowing uh, this weekend. But, you know, obviously, uh, a lot of questions come out after that last call. But what would you think about the pitch clock? What did you think about that last, uh, that last call Saturday? Yeah, so I absolutely love the pitch clock. I I was never really sure, to be honest, what it was going to look like and what it was going to do to the game. But when you see what it's essentially what it's taking out, which is hitters spending 30 seconds before they get back in the box or pitchers taking three laps around the mound before they get back up on the rubber. When you're talking about that stuff getting removed from the game, I am 100 percent on board with that. I, I love the pace. Um, there were some crazy quick innings, like two-minute innings. I know Dylan Dodd had a couple of innings that were like two and a half minutes each. It was it was a lot of fun, honestly, and I I really enjoyed it. And I didn't think I would enjoy it as much as I did, but it's amazing when you watch it with a pitch clock how much dead space used to be in games with taking 30, 45 seconds between pitches that just – you know, for no reason other than just to do it. And so I, I am an actual, I'm actually a really big fan of most of the pace of play rules. I do think we need to do a little tweak, which we're going to get here in a second, but overall, I really, I really enjoyed it. I thought, I think two things are essential. I think the batter having his feet in the box at eight seconds is a great rule. I think that is an essential part of the rule because if you don't have that rule in, then the batters can wait to the last second, jump in the box, and then the, the pitcher has no chance. So I really like that part of the rule. And then obviously pitchers having to throw the ball within 15 seconds of getting it back from the catcher with no one on base. And then 20 seconds when there's a runner on base are great. I mean, we saw as long as you're paying attention and as long as you're on your game, that being able to throw another pitch within 20 seconds or 15 seconds is really not that hard. I mean, there were guys – I didn't – you might remember a different scenario. I didn't even remember a scenario where a pitcher got even close to, you know, having a, a violation. I think the only violations we saw were were more on the hitters 
And this is where I think we need to maybe adjust the rule a little bit. But I thought the pitchers did a really good job. I think it is going to be, I think it's going to be more of an adjustment for hitters than we thought at first. And I'll just get into this now because I, I this this is one part that I think they do need to tweak. And so right now, as the rule is stated, the hitter has to have his have both feet in the box at eight seconds, which again is a good rule. But they also have to have this alert to the pitcher standard. And that standard seems highly subjective to me because there's no real way to measure alertness. It's a it's you know inherently a subjective term to begin with. And so now we're asking umpires to judge alertness level of hitters and then potentially in games if they don't feel like the alertness level was high enough. And one way MLB has tried to, it seems like at least has tried to to fix this is by tying it to the physical act of, of the hitter staring at the pitcher. Like if you're staring at the pitcher, then that is deemed that you are alert to the pitcher. And my problem with that is hitters can be alert to the pitcher and not have to stare at them for a full eight seconds. You know, and if you force hitters to just stare at the pitcher, then the other side, the defense can do all sorts of crazy stuff to try to break that concentration and see if they can get a free strike. And I think if we don't make an adjustment to the rule where we just remove that part, I don't, I don't really understand why we need to have a rule of that. The hitter has to be alert to the, as long as you have two feet in the box, and the pitcher can throw the ball, which he can once you have two feet in the box, then it doesn't matter if the hitter is alert or not. If he's not ready for the pitch, then that's on him. He'll pay the consequences from that, and that's a self-correcting problem. That'll happen one time, and then that'll be the last time a hitter is not ready for a pitch. I don't really understand having a rule trying to govern that, especially such a subjective rule, because it's going to lead to crazy amounts of interpretation. You know, that Conley play at the end of the game was an example where I just don't, that's not the, he was in the box. He was, he had both feet in the box, but he saw the catcher standing up. And so when he saw the catcher standing up, looking at his wrist, he took one hand off the bat and he looked down at the ground for a second. And that is why the game ended because he was deemed not alert for the pitch. But clearly a pitch is not about to be thrown. The catcher is standing up, looking at his wrist. I mean, he, as soon as that pitcher and that catcher were ready to throw, he was ready to hit. Right. So we've we've really kind of gotten outside of the spirit of the rule here if we're if we're ending games on that, because Conley was ready to hit. He could have hit at any point that the, the catcher got down in his crouch. The pitcher started his, his move. Conley was ready. And so I, I really think we need to that part of it, the alert to the pitcher part, which is just is way too subjective for my taste. I think we need to get rid of that. I, I don't think it's necessary as long as the hitters got both feet in the box at eight seconds and the pitcher can throw it then if the hitter's not alert, that's on him. You know, he'll he'll correct that problem. But we don't need to try to govern that with a rule. And we certainly don't need to give the umpires the umpires the power to end games on what they subjectively feel is the appropriate amount of alertness to the pitcher. I, I think I think you're opening up yourself to a, a can of worms that you you really want no part of. I mean, can you imagine if that happened in a playoff game? Or you know, even in a big regular season game, I mean, that would be you'd be the front news, you know, the first story on Sports Center, and you don't want that. And just get get just get rid of that part. You don't need the alertness to the pitcher part. Just the hitter's got to be in the box at eight seconds. Pitcher's got to throw it within fifteen or twenty seconds, depending on if there's a runner, and and just go from there. And if if they do that, if they make that one kind of clarification, then I absolutely love this rule. I think it's a tremendous rule. I think it'll do wonders for the game. But they, I, I do think they need to tweak it a little bit. 
I think we're going to see some tweaks at, at some point. I don't know if this this particular thing is uh, the wording is going to change, though. Uh, but uh, uh, Justin Toscano had an article in the Atlanta Journal to, uh, Sunday. And uh, basically, Brian Snicker said that uh, Major League Baseball, he talked to Michael Michael Hill after Saturday's game and basically clarified some things. Snicker said, you know, the umpires got it right by the letter of the rule. The the catcher must be in the batter's box, but he does not have to be crouched. You know, he can be standing or crouched. I saw a lot of confusion about that on uh, social media. And basically, like you said, Conley, Conley was both feet in the box, but he was looking at the catcher and he wasn't addressing the pitcher at that point. So, I mean, if they call it that way, if that's the way it's going to be and they're going to call it that way every single time, I've got no problem with it. You know, I think these umpires have been extremely to the letter of the law over the weekend. Uh, but I agree with you a little bit. I've seen more hitter violations than I've seen pitcher. I did see Kyle Muller yeah. had one Sunday. You know, and I, but I was trying to remember, I don't, I haven't seen very many of the pitcher violations. I think they've done a really good job of getting the ball and, and throwing it. But, you know, it is going to be interesting to see how these things are tweaked, if they're tweaked at all going forward. Uh, I, w- I would venture to say the next time Cal Conley gets in the box in the game, he's going to look at that pitcher. <laughs> he's not going to take his eyes off that pitcher just because of the way that ended. Obviously, you do not want to see any game in that way, especially in the regular season. If it's got to end that way, then spring training is the time for it. It's time to educate everybody, and that's why it's going to be – I think in a way it's it's so important for these umpires to continue to call this the same way. You know, and I, I've only watched a couple of games this weekend. You know, I'm not – you know, obviously I'm not – I've not watched a, a ton of them, but I hope it's similar. I hope everything's similar across the board because that's the way that's where you're going to make this you're going to make this stick i mean guys didn't get just slow it's their routines you know i mean uh they've they haven't always been this slow pitchers hitters you know it's just their routines and this this rule is going to make them alter their routines and eventually that's what everybody kept saying on i saw on twitter saturday a lot of people that watched a lot of these minor league games with the pitch clock you know they said saturday was kind of the same thing you saw in the minors but a couple of weeks into the season, kind of everybody kind of got on the same page and it kind of went away. And I'm wondering if that's going to be the case, you know, two weeks into the spring, is this not going to be that big of a story anymore? I agree with you. I think that I think it could be tweaked a little bit, but I think also it's it's more of a thing that I mean, it's just like, you know, Brian uh, Snickers comments here uh, in, in this article today was. You know, I think they're still educating all these, all the teams. I think there was some, you know, there's still some areas that uh, everybody doesn't really understand. You know, it's unfortunate that a game ended like that. And then, of course, that's going to be headlines, you know, but I don't really care if if this is the rule and this is the way we're going to do it, then let's do it and get everybody on the same page and let's go from there. My thing with umpires, and this is not just about pace of play, this is about everything and every sport, really is that you want to try to remove the subjectivity out of it as much as possible, right? You don't want things. And this is why the strike zone is always the the hot button topic in baseball is because, you know, there's no way to remove the strike zone subjectivity when you have humans calling it, right? That's the whole point of, you know, the robo up kind of push is that, you know, you take the subjectivity out of it and you take the interpretation out of it. And that should be the goal. Anytime you have a rule, you want as much objectivity as possible. Just things that are crystal clear, regardless of who's, behind the plate, what kind of mood he's in, you know, what kind of day he's having, 
none of that stuff will affect the call because it's just an objective thing that you're calling. And that's what worries me about the alertness to the hitter or the alertness to the pitcher part of the rule is that I just see way too much subjectivity as to what that means. And I could see one guy calling it one way and one guy calling it another way. And, you know, if, you know, if you get into a situation where you get a guy, you know, called out on strikes because he wasn't alert to the pitcher, whatever that means. And then the next inning, you know, the other team's at bat and the, the other guy does the same thing and he doesn't get called for it. You're, you're just going to have such a big mess on your hands. And I, I really, I really do like the pace of play rules. I think they're really important. I think they're really good. I think they, I think they'll be really good for the game. Anybody that you talk to that watched minor league baseball last year, pretty much universally loves them. They, they think they really help the game. And I think they really will help the game. I, I'm a big fan after seeing that first spring training game. But the alertness to the pitcher part is a little too subjective for my taste. And when you have the power to, to grant an automatic strike, which could effectively end in a bat or end an inning or end a game, you know, that's a, that's a lot of power. And tying that much power to a, such a subjective call is, you know, as to what, a, you know, whether a hitter is or isn't alert to the pitcher is, I think it's a recipe for disaster. So that's the only tweak I would make is I don't, I don't, I don't really see the need for that part of it. Just as long as the hitter's in the box, listen, if he's not in the box at eight seconds, then that's an, that's an easy call. If you can't get in the box within eight seconds, then you should have an automatic strike call against you. Just get in the box, just be ready to hit. But I don't want to see guys who are, and this is what happened again in the Conley thing. He was in the box, but he wasn't, you know, quote unquote, alert to the pitcher. He was looking at the catcher because the catcher was standing up. And I just, I don't want games ending because of that. That that seems way too subjective to me. So, yeah, that's the only tweak I would make. But overall, I loved them. Uh, you and I were talking before. You know, we didn't see a lot of the the enlarged bases and, and what that's going to do. You know, I I do think that's going to play a big role in stolen bases just because the distance between the bases is now shorter than it used to be. And you think about as many bang-bang plays as you see at second base and, and the fact that they, you know, hitters – our runners now have like four inches less distance to cover from one base to the next, then, you know, that's going to matter. But yeah, pace of play was really fun. That game was, you and I were talking on Slack during the game. It was a lot of fun without the ninth inning rally. It was going to be like a two hour and 20 minute game that first game. So um, I really enjoyed the pace of play and I, I do hope they can tweak it a little bit so that we can get all of the benefits without any of the controversy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's, that's the thing. And you, you outlay, uh, laid out the exact uh, situation that you don't want. You don't want a guy, a guy on one team to get called for it. And then uh, a guy on the other team, the next inning does the same thing and it, and it gets passed over. You know, that's yeah, all you exactly. want. You just want, you just want things to be, uh, to be uniform. You know, I thought it was interesting too. I was trying to watch. It's not always the easiest thing to see on TV, but, uh, you know, the shifting, shifting restrictions are in place too. I did see the Red Sox. There was a couple of times. I don't remember who the batter was against the Braves, but uh, the third baseman was way over in the shortstop spot, and I couldn't really tell exactly where the shortstop was, but I'm assuming that he was just right there next to the second base bag. I didn't see the Braves do a lot of shifting. Uh, maybe I just didn't notice it, but I, I couldn't tell you know, from the broadcast to see that. I wonder the closer we get to opening day, our team, we're going to start to see teams kind of do it because, I mean, that's the thing. It's not going to – you can't take your third baseman any longer and put him in short right field, but you can move your third baseman and your shortstop. You can move them around. You can move your second baseman around. You've just got to be – they've got to be on the 
the same side as, uh, you know, opposite sides of a second base when the pitch is made. So, you know, I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're going to, you know, I've seen some wild, uh, wild uh, scenarios on online. I actually, you know, talking about how teams might, might uh, deploy outfielders because there's not as many restrictions on the outfielders. So theoretically, you could take the left fielder and uh, put them in short right field. Now you're leaving a, you know, instead of a single, that's going to be a double or a triple if balls hit to left field. But it'll be interesting to see which teams really try to push the envelope and really get creative with the shift rule. Yeah, you laid it out there. That's what I want to see. I want to see the first team. I mean, it'll probably be like Tampa or somebody that's always aggressive with that stuff. But I want to see the first team, you know, that kind of puts their center fielder in left center field, puts their right fielder in right center field, and then puts their like left fielder in that rover position behind uh, second or, but you know, where the second baseman used to be in short right field and, and kind of go with a, t- a two man outfield. Cause I think somebody's going to do it because there's no technical rule against it. You know, the, the shifting rules are all about where the infielders are standing. It has nothing to do with where your outfielders are standing. So I am very interested to see how creative teams get. You know, I do think it was funny watching Matt Olson, you know, the very first hit, I think the Braves got that game was a, um, a Matt Olson ground ball to what normally would have been the Rover in, in, you know, right, uh, short right field. Um, but it was a single because there was no, there was no Rover standing there. So it is going to be very interesting. I do think you're, the talent of your individual defenders is going to matter more this year than it ever has because obviously you can't you can't position and shift the way you used to and you're just going to have to depend on the talent of your players a little bit more but I, I want to see what how creative teams get with you know ways around, around the rule and then you know the adjustments that MLB makes MLB makes about you know restating the rule to try to keep the spirit of the rule the same. And you know somebody's going to try it. Somebody's going to try something crazy. And I, I just kind of want to see what that is and if it catches on or if it's, you know, because you remember shifting didn't catch on all at once. I mean, there were teams that were doing it a lot and there were teams that weren't doing it at all. And the Braves were one of those teams for a while, actually. They did not shift really heavily until like the middle of 2021 where they, I don't know what happened, but they kind of like one day came in and just decided to start shifting like crazy. Um, and they started putting Riley over in, in, you know, short right field against lefties and, and never looked back. But it wasn't an all at one time thing. You know, teams slowly adopted it and got more comfortable with it. And I think we'll see something similar with these, you know, whatever whatever adjustments get made by the new rules, you'll see some really aggressive teams try stuff really early on. And then, you know, how quickly does that stuff catch on around the league where you're constantly seeing you know, are you going to see two-man outfields a lot more, especially when you maybe don't have a big power guy at the plate and you're not really worried about getting burned? You know, it probably does make some sense to put your left fielder over in that rover spot and, and take away the ground ball hits. And if the guy beats you with a, a double, then, you know, you tip your cap. So I, I am very interested to see what teams do with their left fielders and, and how they try to get around some of these shift rules because, you know, you know somebody's going to try it. Somebody's somebody's going to get aggressive. Somebody's going to get a little crazy and and try something. So it'll be fun to see. Yeah, that's one one of those things that was overlooked about that uh, twenty twenty one run is uh, when the Braves really took off was when they just pretty much started shifting everything. Um, you know, we've kind of talked a little bit about that uh, in, internally, but you know, I think also it was one of the things was uh, you know just the outfield defense wasn't as good 
as it was, you know, before Acuna's injury. So I think they shifted themselves a lot around that. A lot of those guys that they they acquired at the deadline, you know, they, they you know rake at, at the plate, but uh, you know they they weren't the greatest defenders in the world. You know, it was Jock and uh, and Soler and everything, but they made it work. You know, they played really deep and they made it work. So you know, I think a lot of people forget it that or wasn't weren't aware of that. But you know, the Braves shifted a ton coming down. I think it actually went down a little bit last year. I think they started out shifting a lot and then kind of kind of settled down. But I haven't looked at that lately. You know, I still don't like the shifting restrictions. I thought I heard it on a broadcast today. Somebody was talking about that. You know, they didn't feel like you would if if players were willing to change their approach that this rule change wouldn't have been wouldn't have been necessary. And that's kind of where I've been at. You know, you can't – I know you guys say, you know, you can't hit that 100-mile-an-hour pitch the other way all the time, but you certainly can't do it when you're worried about your launch angle and you're trying to hit the ball in the air. So, you know, that, that's kind of where I'm at. I get it the other side, and I'm sure this is going to be fine. But I do wonder – I am excited and, and can't wait to see which teams really push the envelope. You know, the, the left-handed hitter is going to benefit from this a ton. We saw it with Matt Olson in his first at-bat, you know, his six-hopper that went for a single – that you know, he simply just does not get that the last two or three seasons. Yeah. You know, that's that's an out. That's a that's an out at first. But um, you know, it is going to be interesting to see that play up the middle. That I think that's the second one that you remember the most about the shift is some guy hits a rocket up the middle and you know, there's a defender standing there at second base. And, you know, technically you can't be behind second base, but if you've got your second baseman or your shortstop just on the other side of the bag, you're still can you can still get a lot of those. Yeah. Um, so I think positioning's still going to play a part in this. Uh, it may not. It won't be the same as it was before. And I think those lefty hitters are gonna are gonna um, you know benefit uh, greatly from this. A lot of them are. But I do wonder. I still think position is going to play a big part. And I think with the Braves now, with Grissom at shortstop, may not have quite the range that Dansby had. I think it's still going to be important. So it's going to be interesting to see how they how they handle that. The pickoff rules, I hadn't really seen that much throw over yet. No, nope. I did see a I couple don't. of guys get thrown out at uh, trying to steal it on Sunday. Not necessarily in the Braves game, but a couple of games I was watching, which surprised me because I just felt like they were going to be, you know, you're, you're going to see a lot more stolen bases, uh, stolen base percentage go up. I think that's still you're still going to see that. But I do wonder too how much the extra, the bigger first base is going to have on those close plays at first. I mean, we've seen, you know, historically you see a ton of bang-bang plays at first base, and a lot of them get reviewed now. You know, I just that was something that I didn't really think about, you know, when we, when we were going with this rule, just to see, you know, how it's going to affect close plays and not, um, you know, I didn't really notice the big bases uh, over the weekend. Overall, I was pretty pleased with the with the rule changes. You know, I think um, I think it's just an interesting it's an interesting dynamic. I think there's still some question marks, but you know, I, I like now that all infields have to be the same size. Uh, I like that they've admitted that some infields weren't the same, weren't regulation size. You know, but basically, you know, you're seeing these umpires now. You, I can remember back in the day when they changed the strike zone. You know, and they call it that way for two, three days a week. You know, and then he'd go right back to normal. Yeah. Um, but now it's like it's a focus on everybody, and it feels like they're serious about it. And I hope in two weeks from now they've not gotten lax on it. 
because I just don't. It's not going to be effective if they do that. They've got to. They've got to. Um, they've got to stay after it and uh, stay uh, diligent about it if these things are going to stick. And I, I want to see like what overall effect does it have on the sport? Like you can talk yourself into the idea that there's going to be more offense, right? Because you know you're not going to have as many ground balls go for outs. You know you're going to have more ground balls go for hits. You, you know the the throwover rule in the in this in the bigger bases should lead to more stolen bases, which should help offense. You know, if pitchers feel like they can't, you know, throw max effort every time because they don't have time in between pitches, that could theoretically help offense. Like you could talk yourself into the idea that all of these rules together are actually going to have a pretty big impact on getting offense or you know raising offense in the sport. But you know, the, the after effects of rule changes never go exactly how you think they're going to go. There's always some sort of, you know, the unplanned uh, consequence for a rule that might change the dynamic. And that's what I want to see. I just want to see how, you know, how are runs per game this year versus last year, you know, since we have a full year of data last year with the DH in the national league, and then we'll have a full year of data this year with the new rules. Like we'll be able to tell pretty quickly how much, how much has the game changed? How much has offense changed? You know, stolen bases. What what do those numbers look like versus last year? Um, ground balls. You know, what is the batting average for for ground balls, especially from lefties? You know, this year versus last year. This this stuff will will be able to quantify pretty quickly, and it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be a really fun year to do analysis because you're going to have you know you just have a brand new you almost have a brand new game because you have some pretty serious rule changes that are affecting stuff, and so you know how it's how it looks different you know, this year versus last year is going to be a lot of fun to track. And I, I'm, I'm, I think it will improve offense a little bit. I don't know if it'll improve it as much as some others do, but I could see, I could definitely see a scenario where these rule changes lead to more offense, just more base runners, more guys at second, uh, more ground ball singles, stuff like that. So, uh, but that's what I'm, that's what I can't wait to see is, you know, how much do these rule changes actually change the game? And, and are those changes good? Do we need to scale back something? You know, is the shift rule, is it too strong? Do we need to nerf it a little bit? You know, all that stuff. So that's with rule changes, you're always wondering what the what the consequences will be and what the you know unintended consequences will be. And and then so that's what I'm that's what I'm looking forward to when when we actually get to start real baseball. Yeah, and I mean to go a step further than that, it'll be interesting to look four or five years down the road. Yeah. And see if um if that guy, that player, that contact approach with speed comes back into the game, because I, uh, you know, mostly over the last few years, you know, that guy's been, that guy's been put, uh, you know, you've got your exceptions, your Jeff McNeils, you know, and some other guys out there, but largely that guy's gone from the league and it's all been, it's been a, a launch angle power approach. And I mean, I don't, I've, you know, I think you have to adapt and I think the league always has, I mean, every sport has to adapt. I mean, you can look at the NFL with running back usage. You can look at the NBA with the three point line, every sport has to adapt and there's ebbs and flows to it, you know, but I think if these, if these rules really take hold, then, you know, teams may be, you know, may question that approach. I mean, home runs are never going to go away. Teams are going to want to hit as many of them as they possibly can, but they may not want one through nine. You know, those kind of players. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. And we did have the actual baseball, though, in this. And, I mean, you know, I caution anybody to look at what happened in the first two games of spring training. But Matt Olson did have that single, and he homered. Uh, Ronald Acuna looked really healthy to me. Seemed like he was flying around. 
Um, you know, I was I was pretty uh, pretty pleased the way he looked at on the on the thing. I think the Braves gave him three plate appearances too, and I think you're going to see that a lot and until he leaves for the World Baseball Classic because uh, they'll try to ramp him up before he gets in that tournament. And then you mentioned Dylan Dodd earlier. I thought he was really impressive, and Blake Burkhalter got into the game Sunday and struck out two in his debut. You know, anybody else jump out at you over the first two games? Yeah, Darius Vines looked good. I thought. Um, he had a couple strikeouts. Uh, Dylan Dodd looked fantastic. I, you know, our 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 prospect guys will tell you that he's one of the best prospects in the in the minors now. Um, and there's not a lot of great ones, but you know, he's he's a guy that could certainly help the team. Uh, I think Buck Holter is a guy that could certainly help the team, especially he could probably help the team this year and out of the bullpen, even though he wasn't drafted that long ago. He he's kind of a natural. I think they're trying him at starter is what I read, but. Um, he's kind of a natural reliever, so I, I would not be surprised if he helped the team. But it was just good to see Ronnie running around, you know, looking like Ronnie. Um, he was flying around the bases. Uh, he scored the Olsen homer when he hit it. Originally looked like a double, and so Ronnie was at first, and he was going to score whether it was a double or a homer. So that was really good to see. I with Ronnie and Ozzy and and Soroka, you know, I just want to see these guys stay healthy. Just give them a full year of health and just see what they can do, especially Acuna and Soroka. You know, you just really want to see because when they're healthy, you know how good they can be. So I kind of want to wrap these dudes up and just go ahead and send them to Atlanta and especially Acuna. You know, he looks like he's probably <laughs> looks like he's probably already ready for opening day. He could probably start opening day next week if he had to. So just, I just really hope he stays healthy. He is still one of the best players on the planet. And if he's healthy, he might be the best player on the planet. So it was good to see him run around. It was good to see Olsen get some some hits early. Uh, again, you don't focus too much on results, but you're just looking for guys to get work in, stay healthy, and and it's a long spring because of the WBC. You know, we're it's like five and a half or six weeks or something like that. So it's going to be a bit of a grind. Um, you'll see the you'll see guys get brought on pretty slowly because of that. But yeah, it's good to it's just good to get actual games where we can see these guys hit against other. You know, teams, other major leaguers, you know, sometimes they're up against AAA players or whatever, but it's just good to see games. And um, and now we actually got real stuff to track pretty much on a daily basis. Yeah, and there was one roster move today announced uh, Sunday, the uh, Dennis Santana reliever that the Braves acquired from the Rangers back in November was claimed off waivers by the Twins. I thought this was interesting to start with because I just assumed that it was they were looking to open a, a 40-man spot, which I thought was a little strange because Tyler Matzik and Waskar Yanoa both can go to the 60-day 60, 60 injured list at any point. But also now I, I kind of wonder if they were just doing Santana a little bit of a favor. He's out of options. You know, they could have waited to the end of spring and, and you know, cut him then. But by doing it now, that gives him a chance to latch on with somebody else and you know the twins obviously snatched him up his power arm had run an era in the fives last year but he had a fifth i think a three 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 five you know so intriguing guy it just seemed like after the braves got him you know they traded for joe Jimenez. you had uh lucas Lickey come in jesse chavez nick anderson kirby yates you know there's going to be a lot of a lot of competition still uh, for those last spots in the bullpen. So, you know, it was kind of, I was kind of interested to see Santana, but, you know, I kind of wondered if he was actually going to have a spot on the team. Yeah. You and I were talking on Slack. I, I do wonder if they were just trying to sneak him through waivers and, and, 
you know, if you can sneak a guy through waivers, then he can still be depth on your team, but you don't have to give him a 40 man spot. And I think that's what happens a lot of times, you know, famously, uh, Lou and Diaz went through that this off season where teams would claim him and then they would immediately put him on waivers to try to sneak him through so they could get him at triple a for depth. But, you know, if you put him on waivers and another team can claim him and, and then try to do the same thing and another team claims and do the same thing. So, you know, it is a bit of a game that you play when you're trying to, you know, you have a guy in your 40 man and you don't necessarily want him on your 40 man, but you would love to have him as triple a depth. And so, you know, you try to sneak him through and if you have a team that's really paying attention to the waiver wire, they can snag him. And that's, I think that's probably what happened that I don't know if, I don't know if Santana was going to make the bullpen. Like you just said, the bullpen is going to be really deep. There's a lot of guys that could have roles there. And, you know, I, I do think they wanted to get him off the 40, but maybe keep him at triple a and, and Minnesota just kind of snagged him. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Minnesota put him on waivers and try to do the same thing, try to get him to triple a, but, and then some other team grabs him. We'll see, but yeah, it is a game that you play with the waiver wire. You know, if you want a guy, if you want a guy as a depth piece for your team, but you don't necessarily want a, a 40 man spot him taking up a 40 man spot, then this is kind of the game you have to play. And I'm guessing that's what happened. One of the big items through the first part of camp has been a couple of nagging injury situations. Uh, you know, obviously anything with Mike Soroka is going to send up alarm bells, but I really do think that it, this is just a case of the Braves playing it safe with him, but he reported to camp with a, a little bit of a sore hamstring. Braves were holding him out of uh, drills. We've seen some pictures of him throwing, but to my knowledge, he's not gotten on a, a mound yet. I mean, it's all, it's going to be a story. And I mean, if we're sitting here this time next week and he still hasn't thrown off a mound, then, you know, you, you're going to start to feel a little different about it, I think, a little bit. But, you know, one thing that is different, it's worth pointing out with the full spring training, you know, guys can be behind a little bit and you don't have to, you know, it, it's not necessarily the worst thing. You know, there's still plenty of time to get the guys ramped up. But, uh, you know, how concerned were you when you, you heard this about Soroka? Yeah, I mean, listen, there, I, I don't think there's any such thing as a, a minor Mike Soroka injury at this point. I, You know, I understand that's not terribly fair to Mike, but, you know, he's just had such a hard time staying healthy, and he's had these two major injuries, or I guess the same injury, but had it twice. And, you know, anytime he's not pitching and it's injury-related, then you're going to get nervous. The good news for him is it's a WBC year, so that's that means the spring – spring training is longer than normal and so he will have extra time to get ready but yeah like you said if he's not pitching off a mound in probably the next week or so then you could probably go ahead and already count him out for opening day just because you know they're going to bring him along you know really slow and that's what they should do but you know he's going to have to you know with pitchers you just have to wait x amount of days before you can throw again and then you have to wait and you have to wait you have to wait so if you get behind early, then there's really no way to catch up. And so he's probably got another week to still be fine. But yeah, if, if we get to next week and he's still not throwing off the mound, he's still hamstrings still bothering him. Then yeah, we're probably already looking at a point where he's not going to be ready for opening day. So um, it's not concerning, but it is noteworthy and it's something to monitor because it's just the nature of things with Mike. Now, you know, he, you just, he's, he, he's had such trouble staying healthy that, any injury is potentially significant. So I, I just don't think he, he, he doesn't really have minor energy injury injuries anymore. And that's not really fair to him, but that's just how it is now. So, so I I'm not concerned, but it's definitely something to watch because 
I would not be surprised at all if we get to next week and we hear he's still not off the mound and and it it, it only takes a couple more of those updates before he's not going to be ready for opening day. So it is something to watch. Yeah, it's almost with him. You just like to see it be something other than the lower a lower body injury, a leg yeah. injury or anything. You know, I mean, obviously you don't want a shoulder or elbow or anything or even a sore oblique, but you know, you'd kind of feel a little bit better about it if you if you felt like it was it was just wasn't the leg. Um, another guy that's uh, going to be behind a little bit in camps, Kyle Wright, and we got word that he got uh, he had a cortisone shot in his shoulder, which you know doesn't make you feel great, um, but evidently it's just something that. Wait, I saw some comments from him. He was talking about it's you know it's just something he's dealt with from time to time, and I think he did have a little bit of a, a bout of a of what they call dead arm last year. You know, I mean. Braves doesn't seem worried about it. it. You know, it's the expectation that he's still going to pitch in one of the first two series, you know, depending on where he slots into the rotation. Uh, but, you know, he's another guy that we need to keep an eye on and see when he's, you know, throwing bullpens and live BP and then getting in games because, you know, this rotation's a strength. And I think the Braves still have a, a good bit of depth there. But, you know, you can't afford, you can't afford to start losing multiple guys, you know, especially early. And, uh, so, you know, that's another situation to kind of keep an eye on. Yep. Kyle had the uh, the injection in the shoulder, so they didn't seem too concerned. So I'm not concerned yet, but, again, it's, you know, it's pitching depth. You know, we had a couple of these. I think Ozzy had a – he had like a, a minor surgery in the offseason, and, and he's not going to be able to play second for a couple of weeks – or not a couple of weeks, like a week, and then he's going to be back to normal. I think Luplo came in with – a minor injury. You, you don't really worry about it as much with the position players just because they have so much time. I mean, spring training is really more about the pitchers getting them built up and arm strength built up. Hitters can probably be ready in a couple of weeks if they had to be. So with the, on the position player side, you don't really worry about it that much. But yeah, Kyle's had Kyle got the shoulder injection, which was news to us for sure. But, you know, until they show a little bit more concern about it, then I don't really see any reason to be that over, that overly concerned. You know, it is a shoulder, so you you worry anytime you see that. But yeah, as long as as long as, as there's nothing else that comes with it, then I think I, I I'm not really all that concerned about it. Yeah, Bryce Elder struggled a little bit Sunday. Um, you know, gave up a grand slam, three singles in a grand slam, uh, in Sunday start. You know, again, I caution anybody for reading too much into it. You know, he wasn't really bothered by it. Just said he's had trouble keeping the ball down. You know, after the game, yeah, I think he's going to be in the mix for this. And and the guy I'm probably most excited to see, honestly, this spring. I'm hoping it falls on a day a day where they're on. You know, you can stream the game or, or watch it on TV. But is Ian Anderson? You know, I thought he's he pitched live BP last week, and people were really raving about the way he looked. You know, I think that fastball command is one of the biggest things. But it, you know, the talk is that uh, he's been working on a slider too. And if, you know, we've all said if he could get, add a third pitch, uh, uh, you know, just a, a decent third offering that I think the, you know, the sky's the limit for him, especially if he's healthy now. So, you know, he's a, he's another guy that's just, uh, you know, he's had a lot of success. I just don't feel like he's really, he was ever really healthy and ever really right last year with that shortened spring. So, you know, I'm really excited to see him and uh, I'm, I'm guessing sometime this week. Yep, the fifth that fifth starter spot is all the kind of all the rave, you know, between shortstop. I guess it's really shortstop, left field, and and the fifth starter spot are kind of the big questions for spring. And you know, I think Ian Anderson probably, I would say, is probably the favorite. 
I don't know. Maybe that's aggressive. Maybe maybe Elder is more of the favorite just because he pitched better last year. But I, you know, Anderson's definitely got a longer track record of success. Um, the slider apparently was pretty good in live BP. Um, you know, whatever that's worth. But yeah, I'm I, I'm fascinated to see what what Anderson looks like um, and how hitters respond to stuff. And it would help the Braves a ton if he was healthy, or not. You know, he healthy and pitching well. It would help the Braves a ton if Soroka could stay healthy, you know, for Elder to continue, to, for Aller to continue, all these guys that are kind of the fifth starter slash triple-A depth guys because um, you're never, you're never going to get through a season with five starters anyways. You're, you're always going to need six, seven, eight, nine, sometimes ten, you know, in terms of starting pitching for a, a full season. So all of those guys, my guess, are going to play a role at some point in the season. And so, you know, they all matter, and all of these innings for them matter. Elder didn't look great today, but, you know, it's the first start of spring. Um, you know, you can't really – you're not really going to take too much from that. He's probably working on stuff. I'm not sure the results even matter that much the very first start. You're just trying to get through all your pitches and stay healthy. So um, he'll get, obviously, plenty of more opportunities. It's a long spring. and But, yeah, that fifth starter spot is going to be fascinating, and Ian Anderson is probably the most fascinating among them, you know, depending on where Sarook is uh, in terms of the health. So that'll be fun to watch. I think that's going to wrap us up for this week. Steven and I are both still on Twitter. You can follow me there at Chris underscore Willis. Steven is B outliers and we'll see you guys again next week.